Canto Five, Book Five, The Legend of Artegal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brian Barnes. The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer, Book Five, The Legend of Artegal, Canto Five. So soon as day forth dawning from the east, night's humid curtain from the heavens withdrew, and early calling forth both man and beast, commanded them their daily works renew, these noble warriors, mindful to pursue the last day's purpose of their vowed fight, themselves thereto prepared in order due, the night, as best was seeming for a night, and the Amazon, as best it liked herself to dight. All in a camas light of purple silk, woven upon with silver subtly wrought, and quilted upon satin white as milk, trailed with ribbons diversely distraught, like as the workmen had their courses taught, which was short tucked for light motion up to her ham, but when she list it wrought down to her lowest heel, and thereupon she wore for her defence a mailed habergeon. And on her legs she painted buskins wore, basted with bands of gold on every side, and mails between, and laced close afore. Upon her thigh her scimitar was tied with an embroidered belt of mickle pride, and on her shoulder hung her shield bedecked upon the boss with stones that shined wide as the fair moon in her most full aspect that to the moon it mote be like in each respect. So forth she came out of the city gate, with stately port and proud magnificence, guarded with many damsels that did wait upon her person for her sure defence, playing on shawms and trumpets that from hence their sound did reach unto the heaven's height. So forth into the field she marched thence, where was a rich pavilion ready pight, her to receive, till time they should begin the fight. Then forth came Artegal out of his tent, all armed to point, and first the lists did enter. Soon after eke came she with fell intent, and countenance fierce, as having fully bent her, that battles utmost trial to advent her. The lists were closed fast, to bar the rout from rudely pressing to the middle centre, which in great heaps them circled all about, waiting how fortune would resolve that dangerous doubt. The trumpet sounded, and the field began. With bitter strokes it both began and ended. She, at the first encounter, on him ran with furious rage, as if she had intended out of his breast the very heart have rended. But he that had, like tempests, often tried, From that first flaw himself right well defended, The more she raged, the more he did abide. She hewed, she foined, she lashed, she laid on every side. Yet still her blows he bore, and her forbore, Weaning at last to win advantage new. Yet still her cruelty increased more, And though power failed, her courage did accrue, Which failing he gan fiercely her pursue, Like as a smith that to his cunning feet 
the stubborn metal seeketh to subdue, soon as he feels it mollified with heat, with his great iron sledge doth strongly on it beat. So did Sir Artegall upon her lay, as if she had an iron anvil been, that flakes of fire, bright as the sunny ray, out of her steely arms were flashing seen, that all on fire ye would her surely wean. But with her shield so well herself she warded, from the dread danger of his weapon keen, that all that while her life she safely guarded, but he that help from her against her will discarded. For with his trenchant blade, at the next blow half of her shield he shared quite away, that half her side itself did naked show, and thenceforth unto danger opened way. Much was she moved with the mighty sway of that sad stroke, that half enraged she grew, and like a greedy bear unto her prey, with her sharp scimitar at him she flew, that glancing down his thigh the purple blood forth drew. Thereat she gan to triumph with great boast, and to upbraid that chance which him misfell, as if the prize she gotten had almost, with spiteful speeches fitting with her well, that his great heart gan inwardly to swell with indignation at her vaunting vein, and at her strook with puissance fearful fell, yet with her shield she warded it again that shattered all to pieces round about the plain. Having her thus disarmed of her shield, upon her helmet he again her stroke, that down she fell upon the grassy field, in senseless swoon, as if her life forsook, and pangs of death her spirit overtook. Whom, when he saw before his foot prostrated, he to her leapt with deadly, dreadful look, and her sunshiny helmet soon unlaced, thinking at once both head and helmet to have raced. But when, as he discovered, had her face, he saw his senses' strange astonishment, a miracle of nature's goodly grace, and her fair visage void of ornament, but bathed in blood and sweat together meant, which in the rudeness of that evil plight bewrayed the signs of feature excellent like as the moon in foggy winter's night doth seem to be herself, though darkened be her light. At sight thereof his cruel-minded heart impierced was with pitiful regard, that his sharp sword he threw from him apart, cursing his hand that had that visage marred. No hand so cruel, nor no heart so hard, but ruth of beauty will it mollify. By this, upstarting from her swoon, she stared a while about her with confused eye, like one that from his dream is waked suddenly. Soon as the night she there by her did spy, standing with empty hands, all weaponless, with fresh assault upon him she did fly, and gan renew her former cruelness, and though he still retired, Yet nevertheless, with huge redoubled strokes, she on him laid, and more increased her outrage merciless, the more that he, with meek entreaty, prayed her wrathful hand from greedy vengeance to have stayed. Like as a puttock having spied in sight a gentle falcon sitting on an hill, whose other wing, now made unmeet for flight, was lately broken by some fortune ill, 
The foolish kite, led with licentious will, doth beat upon the gentle bird in vain, with many idle stoops, her troubling still. Even so did Radigand, with bootless pain, annoy this noble knight, and sorely him constrain. Naught could he do, but shun the dread despite of her fierce wrath, and backward still retire, and with his single shield, well as he might, bear off the burden of her raging ire, and evermore he gently did desire to stay her strokes, and he himself would yield. Yet nod she hark, ne let him once respire, till he to her delivered had his shield, and to her mercy him submitted in plain field. So was he overcome, not overcome, but to her yielded of his own accord, Yet was he justly damned by the doom of his own mouth that spake so wareless a word to be her thrall and service her afford. For though that he first victory obtained, yet after by abandoning his sword, he willful lost that he before attained. No fair conquest than that with good will is gained. Though with her sword on him she flatling stroke, In sign of true subjection to her power, And as her vassal him to thraldom took. But Turpine, born to more unhappy hour, As he, on whom the luckless stars did lower, She caused to be attached, And forthwith led unto the crook To abide the baleful stower, From which he lately had through rescue fled, Where he full shamefully was hanged by the head. But when they thought on Talus' hands to lay, he with his iron flail amongst them thundered, that they were fain to let him scape away, glad from his company to be so sundered, whose presence all their troops so much encumbered that the heaps of those which he did wound and slay, besides the rest dismayed, might not be numbered. Yet all that while he would not once assay to rescue his own lord, but thought it just to bay. Then took the Amazon this noble knight, left to her will by his own willful blame, and caused him to be disarmed quite of all the ornaments of knightly name, with which whilom he gotten had great fame. Instead, whereof she made him to be dight in women's weeds, that is, to manhood shame, and put before his lap an apron white, instead of curates and bases fit for fight. So being clad, she brought him from the field, in which he had been trained many a day, into a long large chamber, which was sealed with monuments of many knights' decay, by her subdued and victorious fray. Amongst the which she caused his warlike arms be hanged on high, that mote his shame beray, and broke his sword, for fear of further harms, with which he wont to stir up battleous alarms. There entered in, he round about him saw many brave knights, whose names right well he knew, there bound to obey that Amazon's proud law, spinning and carding all in comely rue, that his big heart loathed so uncomely view. But, they were forced, through penury and pine, to do those works to them appointed due, for naught was given them to sup or dine, 
but what their hands could earn by twisting linen twine. Amongst them all she placed him most low, and in his hand a distaff to him gave, that he thereon should spin both flax and tow, a sordid office for a mind so brave. So hard it is to be a woman's slave. Yet he it took in his own self's despite, and thereto did himself right well behave. Her to obey, sith he his faith had plight, her vassal to become, if she him won in fight. Who had him seen, imagined mote thereby, that whilom hath of Hercules been told, how, for Aeolus' sake, he did apply his mighty hands, the distaff vile to hold, for his huge club, which had subdued of old so many monsters, which the world annoyed, his lion's skin changed to a pall of gold, in which, forgetting wars, he only joyed in combats of sweet love, and with his mistress toyed. Such is the cruelty of womankind, when they have shaken off the shamefast band with which wise nature did them strongly bind, to obey the hests of man's well-ruling hand, that then all rule and reason they withstand to purchase a licentious liberty. But virtuous women wisely understand that they were born to base humility unless the heavens them lift to lawful sovereignty. Thus, there long while continued Artegal, serving proud Radigand with true subjection. However it his noble heart did gall, to obey a woman's tyrannous direction that might have had of life or death election. But having chosen, now he might not change, during which time the warlike Amazon, whose wandering fancy after lust did range, gan cast a secret liking to this captive strange which long concealing in her covert breast she chawed the cud of lover's careful plight, yet could it not so thoroughly digest, being fast fixed in her wounded sprite, but it tormented her both day and night. Yet would she not thereto yield free accord to serve the lowly vassal of her might, and of her servant make her sovereign lord, so great her pride that she such baseness much abhorred. So much the greater still her anguish grew through stubborn handling of her lovesick heart, and still the more she strove it to subdue, the more she still augmented her own smart and wider made the wound of the hidden dart. At last, when long she struggled, had in vain, she gan to stoop and her proud mind convert to meek obeisance of love's mighty reign and him entreat for grace, that had procured her pain. Unto herself in secret she did call her nearest handmaid, whom she most did trust, and to her said, Clorinda, whom of all I trust alive, sith I thee fostered first, now is the time that I untimely must thereof make trial in my greatest need. It is so happened, that the heavens unjust, spiting my happy freedom, have agreed to thrall my looser life or my last bale to breed. With that she turned her head as half abashed to hide the blush which in her visage rose, 
and through her eyes like sudden lightning flashed, decking her cheek with a vermilion rose. But soon she did her countenance compose, and to her turning thus began again, This grief's deep wound I would to thee disclose, thereto compelled through heart-murdering pain, but dread of shame my doubtful lips doth still restrain. Ah, my dear dread, said then the faithful maid, can dread of aught your dreadless heart withhold, that may hath with dread of death dismayed, and dare even death's most dreadful face behold? Say on, my sovereign lady, and be bold, doth not your handmaid's life at your foot lie? Therewith much comforted, she gan unfold the cause of her conceived malady, as one that would confess, yet fain would it deny. Claren, said she, thou seest yon fairy knight, whom not my valour, but his own brave mind, subjected hath to my unequal might. What right is it that he should thraldom find for lending life to me a wretch unkind? that for such good him recompense with ill. Therefore I cast how I may him unbind, and by his freedom get his free good will, yet so as bound to me he may continue still. Bound unto me, but not with such hard bands of strong compulsion and straight violence, as now in miserable state he stands, but with sweet love and sure benevolence, void of malicious mind or foul offence, to which if thou canst win him any way, without discovery of my thought's pretence, both goodly meed of him it purchase may, and eke with grateful service me right well appay. Which that thou mayst the better bring to pass, lo here this ring, which shall thy warrant be, and token true to old Eumenius. From time to time, when thou at best shalt see, that in and out thou mayst have passage free. Go now, Clorinda, well thy wits advise, and all thy forces gather unto thee, armies of lovely looks and speeches wise, with which thou canst even love himself to love entice. The trusty maid, conceiving her intent, did with sure promise of her good endeavor, give her great comfort and some heart's content. So from her parting she thenceforth did labor, by all the means she might, to curry favor with the elfin knight, her lady's best beloved. With daily shoe of courteous kind behavior, even at the mark white of his heart she roved. And with wide glancing words one day she thus him proved. Unhappy knight, upon whose hopeless state fortune envying good hath felly frowned, and cruel heavens have heaped in heavy fate. I rue that thus thy better days are drowned in sad despair, and all thy senses swooned in stupid sorrow, sith thy juster merit might else have with felicity been crowned. Look up at last, and wake thy dulled spirit to think how this long death thou mightest disinherit. Much did he marvel at her uncouth speech, whose hidden drift he could not well perceive, 
and gan to doubt, lest she him sought to peach of treason, or some guileful train did weave, through which she might his wretched life bereave. Both which to bar, he with this answer met her. Fair damsel, that with ruth, as I perceive, of my mishaps, art moved to wish me better, for such your kind regard, I can but rest your debtor. Yet, weet ye well that to a courage great it is no less beseeming well to bear the storm of fortune's frown or heaven's threat than in the sunshine of her countenance clear, timely to joy and carry comely cheer. For though this cloud have now me overcast, yet do I not of better times despair. And though, unlike, they should forever last, yet in my truth's assurance I rest fixed fast. But what so stony mind, she then replied, but if in his own power occasion lay, would to his hope a window open wide, and to his fortune's help make ready way? Unworthy, sure, quoth he, of better day, that will not take the offer of good hope, and eke pursue, if he attain it may which speeches she applying to the scope of her intent, this further purpose to him shope. Then why dost not, thou ill-advised man, make means to win thy liberty forlorn, and try if thou by fair entreaty can move Radigant, who, though she still have worn her days in war, yet, weet thou, was not born of bears and tigers, nor so salvage-minded as that all be all love of men she scorn. She yet forgets that she of men was kinded, and sooth oft seen, thou proudest heart's based love hath blinded. Certes, Clarinda, not of cankered will, said he, nor obstinate disdainful mind, I have forbore this duty to fulfill. For well I may this ween, by that I find, That she a queen, and come of princely kind, Both worthy is for to be sowed unto, Chiefly by him, whose life her law doth bind, And eke of power her own doom to undo, And alls of princely grace to be inclined thereto. But want of means hath been mine only let, from seeking favour where it doth abound, which if I might by your good office get, I to yourself should rest for ever bound, and ready to deserve what grace I found. She feeling him thus bite upon the bait, yet doubting lest his hold was but unsound, and not well fastened, would not strike him straight, but drew him on with hope, fit leisure to await. But, Foolish maid, whiles heedless of the hook, she thus oft times was beating off and on through slippery footing, fell into the brook, and there was caught to her confusion. For, seeking thus to salve the Amazon, she wounded was with her deceit's own dart, and gan thenceforth to cast affection conceived close in her beguiled heart to Artigal through pity of his causeless smart. Yet durst she not disclose her fancies wound, nay to himself, for doubt of being stained, ne yet to any other white on ground, 
for fear her mistress should have knowledge gained, but to herself it secretly retained within the closet of her covert breast. The more thereby her tender heart was pained, yet to wait fit time she weened best, and fairly did dissemble her sad thoughts unrest. One day her lady, calling her apart, gan to demand of her some tidings good, touching her love's success, her lingering smart. Therewith she gan at first to change her mood, as when a dod and half-confused stood. But quickly she it overpassed, so soon as she her face had wiped to fresh her blood, though gan she tell her all that she had done, and all the ways she sought his love for to have won but said that he was obstinate and stern, scorning her offers and conditions vain, ne would be taught with any terms to learn so fond a lesson as to love again. Die rather would he in penurious pain and his abridged days and duller waste than his foe's love or liking entertain. His resolution was both first and last. His body was her thrall, his heart was freely plast. Which, when the cruel Amazon perceived, she gan to storm and rage and rend her gall, for very fell despite which she conceived to be so scorned of a base-born thrall whose life did lie in her least eyelids fall, of which she vowed with many a cursed threat that she therefore would him ere long forestall. Ne'theless, when calmed was her furious heat, she changed that threatful mood and mildly gan entreat. What now is left, Clorinda, what remains, that we may compass this our enterprise? Great shame to lose so long employed pains, and greater shame to abide so great misprize with which he dares our offers thus despise. Yet that his guilt the greater may appear, and more my gracious mercy by this wise, I will a while with his first folly bear, till thou have tried again and tempted him more near. Say and do all that may thereto prevail. Leave naught unpromised that may him persuade. Life, freedom, grace, and gifts of great avail, with which the gods themselves are milder made. Thereto add art, even women's witty trade, the art of mighty words that men can charm, with which, in case thou canst him not invade, let him feel hardness of thy heavy arm, who will not stoop with good, shall be made stoop with harm. Some of his diet do from him withdraw, for I find him to be too proudly fed. Give him more labor, and with straighter law, that he with work may be forwearied. Let him lodge hard, and lie in straw and bed, that may pull down the courage of his pride, and lay upon him, for his greater dread, cold iron chains, with which let him be tied, and let whatever he desires be him denied. When thou hast all this done, then bring me news of his demean. Thenceforth not like a lover, but like a rebel stout I will him use. For I resolve this siege not to give over, till I the conquest of my will recover. 
So she departed, full of griefe and stain, Which inly did to great impatience move her. But the false maiden shortly turned again Unto the prison, where her heart did thrall remain. There all her subtle nets she did unfold, And all the engines of her wit display, In which she meant him wariless to enfold, And of his innocence to make her prey. So cunningly she wrought her crafts assay, That both her lady and herself withal, And eke the knight, at once she did betray. But most the knight, whom she with guileful call, Did cast for to allure, into her trap to fall. As a bad nurse, which feigning to receive In her own mouth the food meant for her child, Withholds it to herself, and doth deceive the infant, so for want of nurture spoiled. Even so Clorinda her own dame beguiled, And turned the trust which was in her affide, To feeding of her private fire which boiled Her inward breast, and in her entrails fried, The more that she it sought to cover and to hide. For coming to this night, she purpose feigned, How earnest suit she erst for him had made, Unto her queen his freedom to have gained. But by no means could her thereto persuade, But that instead thereof she sternly bade His misery to be augmented more, And many iron bands on him to laid. All which nevertheless she for his love forbore, So praying him to accept her service evermore. And more than that, she promised that she would, in case she might find favor in his eye, to use how to enlarge him out of hold. The fairy, glad to gain his liberty, can yield great thanks for such her courtesy, and with fair words, fit for the time and place, to feed the humor of her malady, promised, if she would free him from that case, he would, by all good means he might, deserve such grace. So daily he fair semblant did her shew, yet never meant he in his noble mind to his own absent love to be untrue. Ne ever did deceitful Clarin find in her false heart his bondage to unbind, but rather how she mote him faster tie. Therefore unto her mistress most unkind she daily told her love he did defy, and him she told her dame his freedom did deny. Yet thus much friendship she to him did show, that his scarce diet somewhat was amended, and his work lessened, that his love mote grow. Yet to her dame him still she discommended, that she with him mote be the more offended. Thus he long while in thraldom there remained, of both beloved well, but little friended until his own true love his freedom gained, which in another canto will be best contained. End of Book 5 The Legend of Artegall